we wrap up the broken pieces of our lives, Father, and, and lay them at your feet. Give us faith to know that only you can take those broken ruins and turn our lives into something beautiful. Visit with us now, Lord, as we spend this time in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was November of 2012, and NASA made a stunning discovery. Messenger, I don't, I don't know if you remember reading about this, but Messenger, the first spacecraft to orbit Mercury, confirmed the presence of ice covered by an unknown organic material near the, inside craters near the planet's North Pole. Three independent lines of, of evidence supported the claim, the strongest being based on excess hydrogen levels, which hinted at the existence of ice. Now, there was a lot of debate over how ice got onto Mercury, the, the leading theory being that some meteorite carried it there. And I tried to read the full findings, but I, I, I quickly discovered these reports are not written for lay people. I lost interest pretty quickly. I mean, if this has to do with some molecule that could hypothetically be a building block for life, not interested. On the other hand, if they found a critter with six sets of teeth that can teleport, shapeshift, and shoot lasers out of its eyes, I'm in. <laughs> but here was my biggest fascination with this. It was ironic. It was an ironic discovery for two reasons. First, Mercury is the closest planet to the sun. Temperatures reach 800 degrees Fahrenheit. So, so given its proximity to the sun, how on earth would ice survive in Mercury? But, but if you study Mercury, the tilt of the planet's poles is almost zero. It's less than one degree. So there are pockets at the planet's poles that never see sunlight. Scientists suggested decades ago that we might find frozen ice and, and other frozen volatiles trapped at Mercury's poles. But the greater irony and this is what struck me, was this, that for the past 48 years, we as a, as a nation, as a government, have spent hundreds of billions of dollars looking for this exact same discovery on Mars, to no avail. Rover after rover, spacecraft after spacecraft, mission after mission, nothing. And here with our first spacecraft to Mercury, we find ice. One top NASA Official stated in an offhand remark, he said, we've been looking on the wrong planet. Not the wrong region or at the wrong depth, on the wrong planet. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty big miss. You, you want to make sure you're in the right place, at least on the right planet, when you're on a two and a half billion dollar mission to find something. Step one is be in the right place. I read a, a quote recently from a former teen pop star whose clean-cut image was progressively replaced by partying and drugs and alcohol addictions, hard living. And it's sad that you can't narrow down who I'm talking about from that description. <laughs> Justin Cyrus, Miley Bieber. The, but she said this. She said, doing drugs doesn't make you a bad person any more than going to church makes you a good person. And the legion of her fans 
embraced this quote and praised it like it was some classic piece of of philosophy uttered by Gandhi. T-shirts were made, bumper stickers, tattoos. It was an entire movement. It became the mantra for the high. And it irks me. I'm thinking, okay, fine. Doing drugs doesn't mean you're a bad person. And, and going to church doesn't mean you're a good person. And taking your car to the mechanic doesn't mean you'll get your car fixed. And going to the hospital doesn't mean you'll be cured of what ails you. But those are the places to go if those are the results you want. If I want certain things to happen in my life, there are certain places I need to be. Places I need to go, things I need to do. Being in the right place for the expected result is one of the most basic and important lessons we can learn. And it's one that Jesus illustrated so clearly through a miraculous healing in the scriptures. Turn with me to our text this morning or look up on the video screens. Mark chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 22 through 26. And for a bit of context here, this account, this miracle we're going to read about takes place after the blindness of the disciples had been stressed in Mark 7:18, where the disciples asked Jesus questions about a parable. He just told them and it completely reveals they don't get it. And, and he asks them, are you so dull? And it takes place just before the scales are revealed to at least have been partially dropped from their eyes. Where in Mark 8.29, they acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. So between their spiritual blindness and their moment of clarity, Jesus takes the disciples to the town of Bethsaida. And he gives them a real world illustration about blind eyes being opened. So let's read Mark chapter 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They, They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. You know, of of all the miracles we read in scriptures, when, when we read of every one of them, we're used to two things. When Jesus healed someone, one, he he healed them instantly. And two, that he healed them where they were immediately and on the spot. All through his ministry, Jesus healed people miraculously and immediately. And right there, he would heal them by merely saying they were healed or he healed people by letting them touch him or him touching them. They were all healed. The lame walked, the deaf heard, the dumb spoke, and all of them were healed on the spot and immediately. But not this time. If we were to categorize all of Jesus' healing miracles... In the Gospels, this one would stick out as the oddball. Remember the Sesame Street game? Which one doesn't belong? This is it. It's the most different of Jesus' miracles. And in its differences that we're going to look at today, we find two of the most important life lessons 
that are as applicable for us today as they were for that blind man 2,000 years ago. The two differences we're going to look at are, are these. The place of healing and the manner of healing. And these two differences provide the important takeaways from this miracle. So first, first, what's the first thing Jesus does when this man is brought to him? He doesn't tell him his faith has made him well. He doesn't confront him about the sin in his life. He doesn't touch his eyes and heal him. He takes him by the hand and leads him out of the village. Why? This man may have grown up all his life in Bethsaida. As a blind man, it was familiar to him. That was important. He knew how to get around. He knew where things were. It was comfortable. But Jesus took him out of the village of Bethsaida. Why? Well, what do we know about Bethsaida? We know it was a fishing village, a small fishing village. John 1.44 tells us it was the birthplace of three of the disciples, Andrew, Peter, and Philip. We know Jesus performed a huge miracle there when, when he fed the multitude with two fish and five loaves of bread. Remember that? But here's the most telling thing about the village of Bethsaida. Look at what Jesus has to say about its residents in Matthew 11:20 through 22. My Bible titles this, Woe on Unrepentant Towns. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. It's a sobering warning. Despite everything Jesus had done in Bethsaida, the people refused to believe. They didn't repent of their ways. They didn't follow Him. They didn't even believe Him. Pure and simple, they were faithless. Scoffers. Doubters. Jesus takes the blind man out of the village because it was no place to be to cultivate His faith. If He wanted healing in His life, a blind man not only needed to find the right healer, Jesus, he not only needed to be in the right place, he needed to get out of the wrong place. Environment matters to God. Why? Well, because environment influences our thoughts and therefore environment influences our behavior, our decisions, the actions we take. It doesn't determine behavior. If you were to place people in the ideal and perfect environment, would they make perfect choices? No. Adam and Eve blew that theory right out of the water. But environment influences behavior. How many times have we heard about kids who, who leave the violent street life to find success in professional sports and they become stars only to return to the violent drug-filled gang scene and, and we hear they got arrested? Why? They stayed with the wrong crowd. The environment we're in can influence our thoughts, our beliefs, and our behavior. God knew this. If that blind man were to have any chance at faith, at healing, at an abundant life, he had to get out of the environment he was in. He had to walk away from the doubters, the skeptics, and the haters. How many times in our lives have we sought 
something from God, his healing, his blessings, his providence, his rescue, but didn't receive it. Why? Well, you have to be in the right place for a blessing physically, emotionally, spiritually. And the first step of that is getting out of the wrong place and away from the wrong people. Oftentimes, God moves us from our comfort zone, doesn't He? Because He knows what's best for us spiritually. Have there been times in, in your life when God has moved you away from something that was familiar and comfortable into a situation you didn't like? A new job He's called you to. Someone in your life He wants you to reach out to. A new ministry He's led you to. And it's not at all what you would choose for yourself. How about opportunities that have passed? Relationships that have ended? People in your life that He's removed? It's at those times when it's more critical than ever to trust Him. He knows what influences those around you will have on you and what that will ultimately produce. He knows the outcome of all possible paths and He chooses what's best for you, not necessarily what's most comfortable or easiest. And the validation isn't just external, but internal. He knows what your circumstances will accomplish within you, in your character, in your endurance, in your patience level, in your closeness and dependence upon Him, in your faith. These are the blessings in our lives that really count. And they're only possible if we allow God to take us out of the wrong places we've walked into. Are there places in our lives and people in our lives that are keeping us from a blessing? It can happen. Words of faithlessness and doubt sow seeds in our mind, don't they? We're not superhuman. We're weak. We're frail projects of humanity that God has to hold up for us to even stand. The reality is that the strength of our faith is negatively influenced by the faithlessness around us. Are you visiting the wrong places in your life? Are you engaging with the wrong friends? God will not bless you and your faith will not grow until you take that first step and get out. Let go. Get out of where you shouldn't be. Let go of who you shouldn't be with. Oh, he's, he's, he's talking about bad places I shouldn't go to, like bars and wild parties and things like that. No, wrong. That's not all I'm talking about. Some of the worst places for us can seem so harmless. How about family gatherings filled with people who don't want to hear about your Christ? Filled with people who do everything they can to insult and undermine your faith. They don't want to hear about Christ because it would make them feel guilty and sinful. How about friends or co-workers who seem so nice and, and even claim to be Christians, but do nothing but drag you down in their agenda to bring you to their level? How about friends who want nothing of your Christ, but would love to just hang out with you and slowly try to make you let go of your faith? Well, I can't let go of my friends. I'm trying to help them. Shouldn't I be reaching them for Christ? Shouldn't I be trying to help them? You know, some people have made it clear with their lives and their decisions and their stands that they don't want to be helped. Jesus Christ himself performed the most jaw-dropping miracle in their midst. 
And he fed thousands with two fish and five loaves of bread, and they refused to believe. Do you think you can do better? You know, the, the single most liked quote on Facebook in Facebook history is the single most popular quote that literally millions of people have identified with. Here it is. You cannot save everyone. Some people are going to destroy themselves no matter how much you try to help them. It's sad, but so true. Don't fall into the trap of, of getting destroyed along with them. In our human nature, you know what we love? We love validation. Nothing validates us more than followers. If I have made a decision, right or wrong, I want people to join me. Come along with me and make me feel better about myself. Make me feel better about my decision, better about my direction. There's no worse trap to fall into. If you see a sinking ship that doesn't want to be rescued, you don't jump aboard. Well, how, how can I reach them? You know what? Your stand for Christ apart from them will have a far greater influence than your compromise to be with them. It was clear this blind man was in a toxic environment filled with toxic people. The people around him proved they were faithless critics that had made their choice despite everything Jesus did to persuade them. They were toxic to his faith. He would never be healed. He would never receive Jesus' touch. He would never grow in his faith until he first disassociated himself from the wrong place and the wrong people. It's not an easy thing to do. It's never easy to walk away from things we know may be wrong for us. Why? Well, it's, it's comfortable. It's familiar. It feeds our flesh. But it's destroying our spiritual lives. God knows it's difficult for us. Look at, look at what Jesus did with the blind man. I love this. Did he, did he tell him where to go? Hey, meet me outside the village at 6 o'clock. We'll talk. No. He took him by the hand and he led him out. He'll do the same for you. Call on him for help. Call on him for healing. Call on him for deliverance from sins in your life, from places you shouldn't be, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Are you in a bad place of faithlessness and doubt? Call on him. Let him take you by the hand and lead you out. He'll do it. And after Jesus healed him, what did he tell him? Now go back there and show everyone what I've done. No, he said, don't even go into the village. Don't go back. The blind man had allowed himself to be influenced by their lack of faith. Their lack of morality. So in order to do anything in this man's life, Jesus had to get him out of Bethsaida and keep him out. Walk away from where you shouldn't be. Let Jesus change you and don't go back. How much agony and tears and heartache we would spare ourselves if we followed those three simple steps. But it's hard. It's hard for us. Even when we leave our sin, even after Jesus has cleansed us, we go back. How it must sadden the Savior's heart to see us go back to what was destroying us in the first place. Proverbs 26.11 reminds us, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. 
Why go back? What did it produce the first time? This writer said it so well. He said, you're not a Christian until you receive a new nature. And if you receive a new nature, there will be evidence. You can educate a pig to stay out of the mud and to eat differently. But on a hot day with fellow pigs, he will resort to his normal nature and dive happily into the mud. But if you could give him a new nature, say the nature of a cat, when the test of a hot day and welcome mud came, he would not be happy in the mud hole, even if his friends persuade him to join them again. He has a new nature, new desires. He does not think he's better than them. He just does not enjoy those things anymore. Don't even go into the village. You want God's blessings in your life? You seek His healing touch for your broken life? Friend, get out of the wrong place. Get away from the wrong people. Get to the right place filled with people whose only agenda is to point you to Christ. That's the right environment that fosters faith, isn't it? That's the environment in which healing begins. That's the environment in which your faith will flourish. It's the most critical first step to take to find what God is prepared to give you. That's our first big takeaway from this miracle. The right place for healing, for blessing, for an abundant life. What's the second? Well, the second difference and thus the second lesson we learn from is the manner of healing. In my opinion, this blind man starts off with little to no faith. I don't think it was his idea to come to Jesus. We're told in verse 22 that some people brought the blind man to Jesus. His friends brought him to Christ. There's nothing in this story that says it was his idea. He'd already seen every doctor he could. None could help. He tried every remedy, every herb, every suggestion. Nothing took, nothing worked. I think he's only there because some people brought him along. But that's okay. There was just a a tiny inkling of a Maybe in the man's faith bank. And if you're here today, you have at least that much. You're here today because of a maybe. And that's all Jesus needs. All he needs is a tiny seed of faith. The scripture says faith the size of a mustard seed to act in your life. How loving and patient and gracious he is. Luke 17, 5 and 6 Tell us, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Should be all of our prayer. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now, on the contrary, Matthew thirteen fifty eight. Bill read this last week when speaking of the town of Nazareth tells us in regards to Jesus and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. You see, God can't work in our lives if we don't have faith, if we don't believe Him, if we don't trust Him. But over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus tells people that it was their faith that healed them. So now in the right place, alone with Christ, away from where He shouldn't be, away from those He shouldn't be with, this man's faith can develop and grow and flourish. Jesus addresses the man's spiritual condition before he ever touches his eyes. And that's consistent with every one of his miracles. He takes care of the spiritual issue first. Things in our physical world 
will never be made right till things in our spiritual world are addressed first. There's no truer principle in life. Our physical world will never be healed until things are settled spiritually. And one day when Jesus returns, they will be. In your life, things will never be fixed or healed or fall into place for you, be they health matters, career matters, relationship matters, financial matters, whatever, until your spiritual health is addressed first. Until your relationship with God is restored. Until your perspective is adjusted. Until your faith is refocused. Until whatever is standing in the way of a healthy walk with God is removed. When construction worker Patrick Lawler visited his dentist complaining of a nagging toothache, deeply you'll like this. His dentist was surprised to find the source of the man's problem was not his teeth. A dental x-ray revealed a four-inch nail the man had accidentally embedded in his skull. Lawler said he'd been doing construction work at a Colorado mountain ski resort six days earlier when a nail gun misfired. He saw a nail impact a nearby piece of wood but didn't realize a second nail had shot through his mouth and lodged in his skull. Following the incident, Lawler had what he thought was a minor toothache and complained of blurry vision. When painkillers failed to ease the pain, he visited the dental office where his wife works. The dentist showed Lawler the x-ray revealing the nail embedded in his skull and had Lawler taken to a Denver hospital where he immediately underwent surgery. The nail had plunged one and a half inches into Lawler's brain, barely missing his right eye. Neurosurgeon Sean Markey told a local television station, believe it or not, this is the second time we've seen in this hospital where a person was injured by a nail gun and didn't realize the nail had been embedded in their skull. Markey said, it is a rare injury and added that Lawler will make a full recovery. This man knew there was some sort of problem because he was feeling pain, but he didn't know what the real root of the pain was. How often we think our problems are physical ones or financial ones or relationship ones only to have God's light reveal that well, there's something much deeper going on. There are deeper spiritual issues and we're looking at what? Symptoms. They're simply symptoms of something deeper. We spend so much time trying to patch symptoms. God never addresses the symptoms until he first heals the root cause. So after Jesus addresses this man's spiritual condition, his environment, he spits on his eyes, puts his hands on him and, and asks him, what do you see? And Jesus knows what the answer will be, but he wants the man to put it in words. And the, and the man replies, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Since he recognized trees, this tells us the man had not been born blind, but had lost his sight. And now he could see something for the first time in years. It was like a light bulb went on inside the man's heart. And, and at that moment, I believe the man realized that Jesus could heal him. And once he realized that Jesus could heal him, then he had the faith for Jesus to heal him completely. Our Lord is so gracious that he helps this man's faith along. He finds the lowest common denominator, spit, not a flower, not an exotic oil, fruit, something from the sea, spit. Is there anything more base than spit? 
But the man's faith is awakened. If Jesus can already accomplish this much with just spit, imagine what else he can do. And that's how faith works. We see something small that God does in our lives and we envision bigger and we believe. Sometimes we look at mighty men of faith like George Mueller who ran an orphanage and we hear stories how he would sit the entire orphanage down at their tables for supper while having nothing to feed them and pray to God and wait on him for an answer at that very moment and God would deliver a knock at the door. That's mighty faith. Moses raising his staff in the belief that God could part the Red Sea. That's mighty faith. Paul and Silas singing while chained up and beaten in prison. That's mighty faith. But it doesn't start that way. Our faith is built up in baby steps. I remember looking at these examples when I first got saved and getting discouraged thinking, I don't have faith like that. Well, guess what? None of us do at the start. But we will eventually. Our faith in God and what He can do should continue to grow until the day He calls us home. Is your faith still growing? Is your faith in God and what He can do in your life stronger today than it was yesterday or a year ago or a decade ago? We see something small that Christ does in our lives. Next time we believe He can do it again and He can do more. Little by little, our faith grows until it becomes a mountain-moving faith. Orphanage-feeding faith. Red Sea-parting faith. Prison-singing faith. Someone has called this progressive faith. And I like that. In, in other words, the blind man progressed from no faith to little faith and then to the point where his faith in Jesus could change his life. And it did. We start off with a small amount of faith when we come to Christ. But the longer we're around Jesus, the more our faith grows. That's one of the beauties of church. It's a place where we can feed off each other's faith. It's a place where as Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, we can stir up one another to love and do good works and encourage one another. In other words, church is where we must be if we're going to grow up in our faith. There's certain places and people you don't want to be around if you want to get close to Jesus, but there is one place you do want to be. And that's in a serious, scripturally grounded, loving church. And the people you want to be around are serious, scripturally grounded, loving Christians. People serious about their walk with God. And when you're in the right environment, focused on Jesus Christ, that's when He works. That's when he moves. That's when he heals and repairs and restores. And that's where your faith will grow and flourish. How do we grow our faith? We focus on Christ and let our roots develop in him. Not in this world, not in our knowledge, our strength, not in our friends. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 tells us. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving, rooted in Christ, growing in knowledge of His principles and the doctrinal foundation of His Word, fighting off temptation, focusing on and remembering what He's done for us, standing firm for what we believe in, fellowshipping with those of like mind, 
overflowing with thankful hearts. Those are the steps that build our faith. How can we do these things if we are by our choice in an environment that fights that every step of the way? You want God to act in your life. You want His blessings and healing and restoration. You want to be a person of mighty faith. Follow those simple steps that Jesus so vividly demonstrated here. Get out of the wrong place and away from the wrong people. Get into the right environment in the right place and with the right people and focus your attention on Christ. Where are you today? As we close, let's examine our lives. Where do you stand with God? J. Vernon McGee shared a story years ago. He said, A group of miners were trapped in a mine in West Virginia after an explosion. Finally, rescuers got food over to them and and they got an electric light over to the place where they were trapped and, and turned it on. It became very bright. A young miner there was looking right into the light and said, Why don't they turn on the lights? All of the men looked at him startled. He had been blinded by the explosion. McGee says, Satan blinds many folks. They say, why don't you turn on the light? I I don't see the gospel at all. That is the blindness that comes from Satan. Are you blind and don't even know it? Friend, you need to have your eyes opened today to see a loving Christ reaching out to you. This world is not the answer. It's a smokescreen blinding you from seeing the truth. You've been away from God. You've been spending your life in the wrong place, pursuing the wrong things with the wrong people. Has it brought you contentment and fulfillment? Walk away from all of it. It hasn't worked for you this far, and you know what? It never will. Don't waste more years just to figure that out. Christ is waiting for you today with arms open wide. And as you see Him, you will see nail-scarred hands reminding you that He died on Calvary's cross for your sins. He loves you so much He would rather die for you than spend eternity apart from you. Accept Him as your Savior today. Your sin is no match for His grace. Your blindness is no problem for His healing touch. Your depression is no match for His hope. What happens when blindness meets the light of the world? When sinners meet the Savior? When hunger meets the bread of life? When thirst meets the living water? When lost sheep meet the Good Shepherd? The rejected meet incarnate love? And the spiritually dead meet Christ, who is the resurrection and the life? This is what happens. The blind receive their sight. The sinful receive forgiveness. The hungry are filled and satisfied. The lame walk. The sick are cured. People are made whole. The discontented and depressed find hope. Prisoners are set free. Those who once mourned are filled with joy. The spiritually dead are raised. And eternal life is inherited. That's what's waiting for you. And dear believer, as we close, I want you to examine your faith and your environment. Those two things go hand in hand. After you leave these doors, what kind of life do you lead? Do you find yourself doing things that don't honor God? Do you find yourself engaged in conversations that don't honor God? Do you find yourself in the wrong places? Places that God wouldn't want you to be? Do you find yourself around the wrong people? People who don't help to build up your faith, to encourage you. 
Perhaps it's not a physical place. Do you find your mind going to places it shouldn't be going? Do you find yourself dwelling on things that will never produce anything good? you find that you have you've welcomed doubts that you never had before? Friend, if you do, God won't work in your life. Healing won't come. Blessings won't flow. Your faith will not grow until your spiritual life begins to heal. Let Jesus, the gentle healer, take you by the hand as He did with that blind man and lead you out. Lead you out of where you shouldn't be. Lead you away from those who you shouldn't be with. Let Him take you to a place where you can truly focus on Him. And when your eyes are on Christ in an environment of love and faith, guess what? Your faith will grow. His blessings will flow into your life. Your eyes will be opened once again and your healing will come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the healing that only You can bring. And we pray today that You would help us to be in the right place with You. Help us to walk away from the places and the people and the thoughts that have been harming us spiritually, that have kept us from growing in You, that have stunted our faith in You. Help us to always be in Your will, in the place You want us to be, surrounded by the people You want us to be with. And help us most importantly, Lord, to focus on You. Let us take our eyes off of the world and the circumstances around us and look to You. Grow our faith, Father. Take our mustard seed faith and multiply it as we seek You. Let us become faithful vessels for Your glory. We love You. We thank You for Your faithfulness in all things. And we pray in the precious name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.